Uh, and for those who are online that are coming to us online, we'd like to welcome you guys uh, to our study. Uh, for those who come every week and we see you every week, drop a comment in the chat. We'll be sure to respond back. We're so glad that you took the time out to be with us. As a matter of fact, guys, can y'all give them a hand clap because they come every week. Yeah. We want to take the time to thank you for investing in your spiritual life, just like the people who are here. Guys, Robin has made these maps for you. Um, so these maps will kind of give you an idea of some of the areas and geographically where we are. Of course, there are tons of maps, um, but it kind of gives you uh, another resource to be able to utilize. But we're going to start at the book of Genesis. Um, we're in about part 12 of Genesis, and we're going to start at chapter 14. Uh, a lot of stuff today we have seen that hey, last week we talked about uh, Abram and Lot and about the discord that came between their shepherds uh, and the things that happened. And we talked about the power of communication, and how to have good, good discourse and also how to have good, healthy conflict. And even after we touched off the cameras, we had a had a powerful segment um, after that. So I'm very happy about that and grateful that God, God is moving. Um, and, and, and so glad to be in those spots when the camera's not running. Um, so we're going to start at the book of Genesis chapter 14, verse one, and we're going to read, and it's going to sound, sound a little weird to you, um, with all these names. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and read probably all the way through down to about, um, verse 12. So let's read, ready, read. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Eleazar, Shardalaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, the king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the valley of Sedim, which is in the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Shur and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Shur and the kings that were with him, and smote the Raphims in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, and the Zuzims in Ham and the Emims in Sheva and Kiriathim, and the Horites in their Mount Seir unto Elparon, which is by the wilderness. I bet you can't say that five times fast. <laughs> Let's continue. And they returned and came to Emisphat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt and Hezezon Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidim. Let's keep on reading for a little while. Uh, we, we can go further. With Shurdalomar, the king of Elam, and with Tadal, king of nations, and Armaphal, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elasar, four kings with five. And the vale of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. Victuals means food. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and his deeds and departed. Now, let's to catch up with all those names that we see. Um, basically, those cities, each city has a king. And to put it in plain English, you have four kings against five. You have a, a king that is in charge and he has other kings with him. And they are taking what you call tribute from the other kings. In other words, it's like the mob. We won't come attack you if you pay us some taxes and some money. Uh, kind of like the IRS a little bit. And so <laughs> this is similar to what it is. And all of a sudden, some of those kings decide that they're going to rebel 
uh, against the, against this king and they're not going to pay those taxes. And so that king decides to come down on them and to attack them. And then the problem is that when they get down there, they're in slime pits. And in those slime pits, they try to run. They're in tar pits, basically. And some of them escape, some of them don't. But overall, this king comes and he takes all of those kings under his subjection and he begins to entrap all the kings and their cities and two of those cities were sodom and gomorrah why is this important because we're talking about connections now last week we saw that abraham did the the right thing by deferring and not taking the best land but seeking to have a relationship and not bruise a relationship he didn't take the best but what did his nephew do he what he, he took the best. He decided to connect himself with other people and with, with communities towards the where? East <laughs> and, and near Sodom and Gomorrah. And so when these people get caught, guess who's with them? Lot. So Lot's caught in a conflict that he really doesn't have anything to do with, except that he's associated himself with these people and that's a good question he loses everything because of someone else's fight have you ever been in a situation where you were connected to somebody and something happened to you because you were connected to them uh, mama used to say a long time ago that bad company corrupt, uh, corrupts good character the bible says that too that sometimes it's important for us to be careful of who we're connected to because it can bless us or it can actually hurt us depending on who we're connected to we talked about that last time that lot looked at the good of the land he didn't consider all the dangers and now he's put his family in mortal danger because of something that didn't even have anything to do with what him so I asked the question, what danger and disruption have been in your life or our lives because we were connected to the wrong people? Has anybody ever had something happen to them simply because they were connected to the wrong people? It's amazing, isn't it? How quick it's that's why it's important, even with our children, to be careful with whom we let our children associate, because sometimes things could be happening to somebody else. And your children have nothing to do with it. But guess what will happen? Because your child's in the vicinity, your child pays the what? Price. Your child's in the car with somebody. They go do something illegal. Your child's in the car with them. Now they're guilty by what? Association. So it's important in life to be careful and to evaluate all the connections in our life. Some of our connections are healthy. Some of our connections are not healthy. Some of our connections were good for a season, but they're no longer good. And we have to be able to evaluate and realize what connections we need. Uh, because if we don't, the wrong connections will take you to the wrong places. Now here it is, Lot, all he wanted was some good land, but because he didn't exercise wisdom, he's taken captive by something that doesn't have anything to do with him. When I was a kid, my mama used to not let me go a lot of places and I would be mad about it. And uh, and I, I couldn't quite understand it. And one day I got mad at my mama and I said, everybody's going. And she said, I didn't name you everybody. I named you Willie and you're not going. <laughs> and as a kid, I couldn't quite understand what she was saying. But as I got older and I began to watch events that happened across my lifespan, I realized that some things and tragedies in my life were simply avoided because my mother was meticulous on making sure that certain connections I didn't just have. Certain, certain people that I just didn't run with. And that's because those people were not healthy for me. They made bad decisions. And I couldn't understand how mama understood that until I got older. And now after I've lived a little bit of life, you can look at some situations and you can kind of say, oh, I see where this is headed. I see where that kind of mentality leads you up. I see where those kind of mindsets lead you. And if I let you connect with that, I'm letting you connect with something dangerous. So I asked another question. Have you ever felt forced into a conflict that you that didn't have anything to do with you? And how did you respond? Anybody ever felt like you were pulled into a fight that didn't have anything to do with you? How does that make you feel? Well, it makes you feel frustrated, doesn't it? especially if you have somebody that you like and now this person doesn't like them so what happens when this person doesn't like a person they automatically assume that you shouldn't what like them too but the truth of the matter is that person really didn't do anything what to you and because these two people have conflict or what some people call beef now 
everybody's beefing with everybody and really it's not because of this person it's because i'm connected to what this person and so it's important for us to be careful of the company we what keep and to make sure we're evaluating our relationships properly we see lot is in a lot of turmoil because he chooses his connections and affiliations based off of what he sees on the surface you ever pick a friend because y'all seem to have some mutual interests but the more you got to know them, you realize this that probably wasn't the healthiest relationship or partnership around. But you guys have hung around each other so long, it was kind of hard to just tell them, you know, I, I love you, but we probably best chill on our hanging out. We shouldn't hang out quite as much. So we kind of overlooked a bunch of things that we probably shouldn't have overlooked and, and, and pretended we didn't see a bunch of stuff that we really saw. And in the end, it what? It cost us. So if anything we can learn from this lesson before we even go to the rest of the lesson, which has some good stuff in it, is that we should be able to monitor our life and our connections and cover our connections. Guess what? If you when you go home and you or take your phone, you open up this phone. Most of you, before you can open it up, what do you have on it? Before you can open it, if somebody picked up your phone, could they get in your phone? Why not? Because you got a lock on it. Why do you have a lock on this phone? So no one can answer your phone. There are things in this phone that you don't want people to get to. You guard it because the information is important to you. You don't want somebody into your important things. But the Bible says guard your... You, we do that with everything. I, got, I have this little thing on my credit card that if... Something, my credit card is spent. I know what's happening. If somebody spends out a credit card out of state, you'll know what's happening. We put all these little things in to protect things, but yet we don't protect ourselves from bad influences and bad connections. The Bible says guard your heart because out of it flows the what? Issues of life. It determines the course of life, which means that your heart is your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. So what, what are you getting at? Who are you giving access? Who are you giving your ear to? Who are you giving your ear and influence in your life? Because here's the thing. Once it's in, it's hard to get it out. How do I know? Think about something. I bet you everybody in this room can go back to five years old and think of something they did when they were five or somewhere around that area. How did they get in there? That was a life experience or something you heard. You That came into your mind, your will, your emotions. That's in your soul. That's in your heart that I was having a conversation with a friend one day and I said, have you ever thought when you're mad and you yell at somebody and you say something and although you say I didn't mean it, really you probably did because although it shocked you, it was something in your heart that you didn't know was in your what? Heart. It was in there. It just shocked you when it came out and you said, oh, I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. You just didn't realize it was in there. Because the Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the what? Mouth speaks. So what's coming out of your heart is what's in there. So it's important for us to guard what's going into our heart. How do we guard that? Through our ears and through our eyes, through the things we listen to, and especially with those people we connect with because they have influence in our life. And a lot of times their drama will become our drama. Have you ever had somebody that has so much drama in your life that when they left from talking to you, you felt depressed? And it wasn't just the season. This is how they are the whole time. They're never up and down. They're always down. And every time you see them, you have good relationships in your family or in your life. But because they have marital problems all the time, you start looking at your spouse crazy. Why? Because you're allowing the negativity in the things in their life to flow over into yours. And those connections you have made could prove to have you on the way to divorce court or on the way to losing a relationship and you don't even have anything to do with what's going on in their house. <clears throat> but because you didn't guard your connections, the negativity and the mindset they have comes over from Sodom and it affects what? You. You were happy at first. You didn't have no problem. Now, every time your spouse does something, it gets on your nerve. Why? Because this person is not happy and they're breeding that un discontent. And now it starts to make you what? Content. We should be careful of the company we keep. Because it could have us in a world of trouble because of stuff that really didn't even have anything to what? Do with us. You see this in the text? 
that you can put yourself in a poor situation because of who you choose to connect with. And I wrote down Lot's life is in turmoil now because he chose his connections and affiliations, affiliations by what he saw on the surface. What does this chapter teach us about evaluating potential relationships and partnerships closely? What does that mean? Before you hook up with somebody, before you break bread with somebody, that doesn't mean you have to give a Give, give a whole dissertation or get a whole dissertation from somebody before you're nice to them. But before you let them have access to certain parts of your life and close parts of your life, you should vet those people because those people will eventually have influence in your what? Life. Those will be the people that may have an opportunity to speak into your life. And if you don't vet those carefully, they could end up affecting you. So we look down. Let's read a little bit more. Let's go through verse 16. Start at verse 13. And we're using King James Version tonight. Uh, let's read. And there, they'll, they'll go back. Uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 13. There we go. Ready and read. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abraham. They, this is Abraham's crew. And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto the dam. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought back again, brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women, and also the people. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that there's a war going on. And Lot just got taken off the war. Where is Abraham sitting? It seemed from last week that Abraham was losing because he determined, let's not fight. You take the better. You take the better. You take this and I'll take that. I submit to you that sometimes you might think you're losing by, by, by losing the argument. You might think you're losing by being quiet. But sometimes you're putting yourself in a position for success in the future because now, because Abram has chosen a different type of connections while there's war going on and lots being carried off the war, Abram's sitting there enjoying himself. The conflict has not what? Come to his doorstep. But he made a choice. God said, leave your family and your kindred and all those people and go to a land I will show you. And his his nephew Lot doesn't have a father anymore. He's taken Lot with him. And it seems like every time he, something happens, Abram has a problem because of who? Lot. Who are we keeping in our lives that we need to cut loose? That doesn't mean they're bad people. <clears throat> but maybe it is that if every time I'm around you, trouble finds you. Maybe I should not be around you quite as much so trouble will quit finding me. Uh, have you ever noticed that's like seems like every time we around, I'm around you, we get into an argument. Every time I'm around you, we get pulled over. Maybe, maybe I don't need to hang around you anymore if I'm tired of getting pulled over. <laughs> maybe I need to change what I'm what? Doing. And so I will change what I'm getting. Abram, though, is now pulled into a conflict that has nothing to do with him. Why? Because Lot has gotten in trouble and Abram's not going to leave his family behind. So I put down this in, in number five and these are things for you to answer later. Abram is missing. And by the way, this is the first time we see him denoted as Abram the Hebrew. Uh, Abram is missing the conflict because of the partners and allies he chose. How important is it to build partnerships that don't bring unnecessary conflict into our lives? Somebody comment on that. How important is it to have people that can bring about peace in your life? The Bible says that we should try to live peaceably and seek a quiet and peaceful life. It's good when you're looking for a relationship or when you're looking for a spouse to find somebody that's pretty or somebody that's handsome, depending on uh, who you are and, and what, what you need. But at the end of the day, you might want to see how they are psychologically and how they handle conflict, see them in their bad times and their low times, because what you don't want to do is connect and be connected with somebody that brings 
peace never to your home. That every time you open the door, you open the door with your head hung down. <laughs> because you know as soon as you walk through the door, you've done something wrong. As soon as you open the door, there's what? Conflict. And people that are not at peace within will always bring conflict without. There's always something you're doing wrong because they're agitated and they don't know why they're agitated. So what they do is they blame their agitation on the first thing they can see. I'm mad because you do this and you do that. And you always, you're not mad because of that. You're mad because you, you maladjusted. <laughs> you're mad because you haven't dealt with your baggage. And when you deal with your, I laugh when people tell me this person made me mad and that person makes me mad. No, they didn't. You just have a bad attitude and you don't want to accept that, <laughs> that you have a bad attitude. And you try to blame your bad attitude on your husband or your wife or your friends or the people at work. And the reason that you never, in it, never thing gets in, nothing ever gets better is because you're trying to change everybody except. But he just makes me so mad. No, he doesn't. You just angry. Search your heart. Find out why you're angry all the time. Well, she just gets on my nerves. No, you're just anxious and agitated. Yes, people can do stuff that does offend us. And sometimes people can be overtly offensive. But if somebody's, if you always find yourself in a state of discomfort, in a state of agitation, I wouldn't look without before I look within. It's important for us to not partner with people who bring unnecessary conflict into our lives. How many times I've had friends that have almost gone to jail. Why? Because they were in the wrong car, at the wrong place, at the wrong time. They weren't doing anything, but they were with the wrong people. I've had friends that have passed away. Why? Because they were innocent bystanders. Things that had nothing to do with them, but they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes you can't avoid things like that. But sometimes certain places breed certain types of behavior, and you don't want to be around those certain places and those certain what? Things. It's important. So now Abraham rescues Lot, Abram. He put himself in a bad situation, but now Abram's got to go rescue him. And this is a powerful question for us because as much as we might fuss at Lot, I want to ask this question. Somebody, can you read that question at the back part of, of number six? How does that remind you of God's grace and love? Can anybody answer that? How many times have you put yourself in a bad situation that you, you that you really deserve what you were getting? Don't have enough fingers and toes. <laughs> you see, Brother Dave tells the truth. You don't have enough fingers and toes, but yet God came to your rescue anyway. Isn't that amazing? That how many times we've messed up and we deserve the situation we were in, be it financial, physical, psychological, uh, whatever the case may be. And God's grace and his mercy rescued us anyway. Aren't you glad? I think we should put a pin there and stop and call that to be a praise break. That Lord, you blessed me when I didn't deserve it. You saved me when I didn't deserve it. When I deserve this, you gave me that. And for that, I'm grateful that that breeds those type of people, which I'm one of should be the, the hot, the highest and the hardest worshipers. Cause the Bible says he that is forgiven much, what loves much. So it's amazing to me how people can sit up in church and I'm not talking about your personality. Some people are stoic by personality. But what I'm saying is that there's nothing, even if you're stoic on the outside, that's stirring on the inside of you. When you think about what God has really done for you and what you really deserve and his mercy kept you anyway. Wow. That's amazing. But we're going to keep moving because that clock is still moving, brother. Lamarck, it never stops. You see that? It just keeps on going. And I uh, put this question, I want to ask this question, and maybe somebody in the chat, you could ask this question to yourself too. Name a time when the right connection has given you divine protection. You know what? I know my mother was praying for me. Aren't you glad that sometimes when you're doing the foolishness that you're doing, and you know it's wrong, that there was somebody that what? Praying for you. 
It wasn't just because you were so good. It wasn't just because you were so right or nice. It was because somebody had sense enough to pray for you when you weren't even what? Praying for yourself. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that somebody prayed for me. There was a song that says somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. I'm so glad my grandmother and my mother and my parents and, and my brothers and all sorts of people in my family prayed. That's why it's important for us to pray. Sometimes we're praying for people and we don't even know why we're praying for them. But God puts it on our heart to pray for those people because those people may be in a situation they don't need to be in. And you're covering them in prayer and keeping the, the hand of the enemy away. The prayers and the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous people, what? Avail much. That's why it's important. Prayer is important to cover that sometimes a divine connection gave you divine protection and I don't know about you but I almost feel like shouting right there because I know many times that I should have been gone I should have been done I should have been through should have been thrown away but a divine connection gave me divine protection I think I'll say that one more time because somebody needs to hear that that the divine connection gave you divine protection he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high God shall abide under the shadow of the almighty don't you know that sometimes when you connected with God, even in your mess, God will, God will cover you and show you mercy and show you grace and goodness and kindness and crown you with goodness. We serve an amazing God. Yes, we do. Now we're going to go over a little bit because we're about to see something that's going to be a theme all the way throughout the rest of the Bible. And, and I'm going to skip some of those things. We see that Abram, he decides to take his crew. Now, here it is that this king has taken over four kings. He defeated them and took them. And here it is, Abraham, that takes 318 men and defeats five kings. I repeat that. You got one set of kings, five against four, that overtakes all of them in their city. Abraham takes 318 people and topples all the kings. And he's old. And he's old. <laughs> Strategic. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how sometimes God can take little and make much when the favor of God is on your life? I don't know who needs to hear this, but sometimes you don't need money. You need favor. Sometimes, sometimes you don't need resources. You need favor. There's no such thing as love. You need the favor of God because the favor of God can cause you to be able to do things that your human skill and ingenuity should, would never be able to do. I'm, I'm grateful for intelligence. I'm grateful for strategy and all those things. But more than anything, I want the favor of God on my life because favor will give you things that you just don't deserve. The Bible says that, that when a man's ways please the Lord, he will make even his enemies be at peace with him. What is that? That's favor. That's somebody saying, I don't like you, but I can't stop blessing you. I don't like it, but for some reason, I can't stop blessing you. That's called the favor of God. God will make your enemies bless you. God let Abram take 318 men and destroy four armies. strategically by night, bit by bit, guerrilla warfare. Abram is doing some things and he saves Lot and his family. And he recovers. He didn't recover some of it. Everybody say, oh, somebody needs to hear that. You're going to recover all. I don't know who I'm talking to or who I'm speaking to, but you feel like you've lost it all. I might be speaking to myself. God is going to let you recover it all. He's going to give you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask a thing because it's not because of how good you are, but how good he is. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life and his favor is on your life. And if you will submit to the will of God and do what he's calling you to do in your life, he will give you favor that people will be dumbfounded with for years. They won't be ever able to see how you're doing what you're doing or what you're able to do. How do I know this? Because the favor of God can take down a giant with a rag and a rock. A little bitty, little bitty thong right here with a little bitty piece of leather and a, and a, and a rock. And the favor of God can guide that rock and, and take down a giant. And in taking down that giant, a little young boy can take down an entire nation. 
I've seen the favor of God that will send the praises out the battle. Come here, Jehoshaphat. And when they go out, that when the praise comes out, that it destroys entire armies. I've seen in biblical times and through the Bible where God has made enemies destroy themselves in a confusion. Don't you know that God, you might have something happening in your life. You might have hell in your home and your marriage or wherever. But don't you know, just like there is an enemy, God has the ability to confuse the enemy. If you seek the favor of God and seek to please God, God will turn around some things in your life that you won't have an explanation for because we serve a supernatural God. We're learning. The Bible, we're learning about God and this, the letter is good, but the spirit is what gives life. And I want you to know that you serve a supernatural God who can turn around bad decisions, a supernatural God that can turn around bad diagnoses from the doctor, a supernatural God that when everybody else shakes their head, they turn around and leave. And then the next thing you know that, that you're still surviving. How do you know that? Because I've seen in the Bible where they taken the, uh, and thrown Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in a fiery furnace. And it was so hot that it burnt the people that threw them in and when they walked away thinking that that's enough they're dead, dead and done for they turn around and they're still standing there and they say I see three in this fire that we threw but there's another one there and it looks like the son of God that God has angels that will come around and they'll protect you that God has angels that will work out supernaturally in your situation this is not just a book of, of dead written literature but this is the living breathing word of a supernatural God and and sometimes you need more than head knowledge. You need the spirit of God to move in your life. You can feel like your life is dead and I, Lord, I'm at a standstill. Sometimes you don't even know it. Sometimes I come out, I did it this week. I came out and I lay by myself at this altar and I tell God what's going on and say, Lord, this is what I want to make happen, but I can't make it happen. I'm going to stop worrying about it. I'm going to lay it at this altar and I'm going to leave it there. And Lord, I'm asking you to do supernaturally what I can't do naturally. And I'm going to wait. David said, I would have fainted unless I looked to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. You got to have faith to be able to expect God to do some things. You got to be able to say, Lord, I'm looking for what I already know you're going to do. Yes. God took 318 men and defeated four kings. And how do you know God did it? Well, let's keep reading and we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about it. Let's look at verse 18 or verse 17. So let's start at verse 17. What does it say? It says, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the Sodom of Kedalamor and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavah, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now let's stop right there. I want you to know who Melchizedek is because Melchizedek goes all the way through the Bible. Melchizedek is the king of, of Salem. And Melchizedek means that my God is right or my God is righteous. And what you will find out is, I'm going to go ahead and read this question so I don't get ahead of myself. But Melchizedek is what we call a foreshadowing. In other words, that there are parts of the Bible that point to other parts of the Bible in the future. Melchizedek, does anybody know who Melchizedek points to? That's it. Melchizedek points to Jesus. Why? Because he's the first person that's actually represented as, and that's one of your questions, as priest and king. You see Melchizedek in, in Psalms, Psalms 110. You see him in Hebrews 5, uh, chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 7. He is priest and king, and he represents Christ. For you notice that everybody else in the Bible has a lineage, but you don't see a lineage written about Melchizedek. Melchizedek has no beginning, nor does he have an end in the Bible. So what do, what, who does that sound like? I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm going to read a little bit of Psalms 110. I didn't give that to them in the back, but I'm going to read uh, a little bit of Psalms 110 so you can, you can hear this. And it's talking about a messianic prophecy of Jesus. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, Psalms chapter 110, uh, starting at verse one, 
the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's speaking of Jesus. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. That is the power uh, uh, that he's given. That's that's rulership, kingship. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in a holy majesty from the womb of the dawn. You will receive the dew of your youth. This is a prophecy about Jesus long before Jesus manifests into the earth or he comes into the earth. Uh, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. In verse four, it says that we'll read it together. Let's read it in the King James Version so we can read it together. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, a king comes by proclamation, but a priest comes a different way. You can proclaim somebody to be a king, uh, to be a king, but a priest is ordained of God. He is sent. And, and so Jesus is both priest and king. That's why the Bible says we have not a high what? Priest that cannot understand our infirmities and our weaknesses, but he was at all points tempted as we were, but yet without sin. In other words, that Melchizedek is a type of uh, and shadow we would call or a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Some people and some theologians, and you'll see this in, in, in your in, in number 10, call him a Christophany. What is a Christophany? A Christophany is an Old Testament picture of Christ as Christ is revealed in the Old Testament. You'll see Abram in a little bit when he goes, the Sodom and Gomorrah is, is uh, going to be destroyed. And he says, shall I destroy the city? Shall I let my 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 Friend Abraham, know what I'm about to do. It will be considered a new, te a Old Testament uh, manifestation of Christ. In other words, just like we looked at with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we threw three in the fire, but I see four. The fourth looks like the Son of God. So that's what a Christophany is. But we know that Melchizedek is an actual figure. But I love what Melchizedek does because not only is he priest and is he king, but he brings out bread and what? Wine. What is that symbolic of? The Lord's Supper, the Seder meal, communion, fellowship with who? God. That although they live in a mostly pagan society, there are some contemporaries, and I think that's in uh, number 12 on you, you guys' list, that Abram does have contemporaries. The book of Job, Job lived around the time of Abram. And there are a few people around that still believe in who they call El or El Elyon, the most high God. And, and so you have a few people that still believe in one God. Uh, they haven't all bowed to Baal and made other gods yet. And so Melchizedek, it says, is the priest of the most high what? God. So I like what Melchizedek does. He comes in in verse 19. Let's read verse 19, uh, chapter 5, 14, verse 19. We're going to read all the way down to verse 21. Let's read it. It says what? And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, stop right there uh, before we go forward. Leave that, leave that on the screen, though. You can, the blessed sir is generally superior to the one that is being what? Blessed. Melchizedek has come out of nowhere. You see all these kings fighting and, and their lands fighting. Melchizedek wasn't in any of that. We see Melchizedek, he, Melchizedek is the, the high priest and the king of, of Salem. You will hear it as Jabu or Jerushalam the house of peace. So this is this is this land, this is this area that he is the king of peace. And and so we see that he is blessing Abram. He's put given a proclamation, a blessing on Abram, and let's see what verse 20 says. Let's read. And blessed be the most high God which has delivered thine enemies into thy hand and he gave tithes of, gave him tithes of all. Now what I want you to pay attention to is that Melchizedek has come out and we see worship as a central figure again. Worship is there. We see warriors that worship. So men are called to worship, but men are sometimes called to war too. And after the war, we see that Melchizedek gives bread and wine. That's a sign of communion. And we'll later learn that the bread is the broken body of who? Christ. And the wine is the what? 
blood of Christ. During the Exodus, they will look at that as the, the blood or the death angel passing over the house and the, and the blood on the, on the doorpost. And, and, and so later it will be fulfilled in Jesus that he is the last sacrificial what? Lamb. That's why he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. You don't have any need for any more sacrifices. I'm it once and final and for all. And you'll see this if you have the time. Look through Hebrews chapter 7 through around all the way through verse 11. And it talks about how the, the priests, they needed to keep giving sacrifices. But Jesus did it once and for all. So our sins are what? Covered completely oh that's some good stuff i don't have time because that clock is running on me but that's some that's some good stuff go back and read some of that stuff but i like what melchizedek said not only does he bless abram and say good job abram but he reminds abram of one thing he says and blessed be god most high who delivered your enemies into your hand don't for one second think you did it on your own I believe God's going to do some great things from, from many ministries and this ministry included. But when he does it, it won't be because of us. It'll be because of him. Except the Lord build the house. They that labor, labor in vain. That God may give you favor. But if God gives you favor, always remember to give him the glory. Yes. It's not because you have a master's degree. There are plenty of people. You know, I met some brilliant people. One day, I'll never forget, I was a, I was a young guy, and I was having trouble with calculus. And there was a guy, he used to come into this diner that I was sitting in, and he was homeless. <laughs> and uh, he was homeless, and, and he, was, he was actually a drug addict. And I was sitting down one day, and I was working my calculus homework, and he said, your derivative's wrong. And I looked at him, and I was a young kid. I was 18, 19, and I'm like, you're homeless. You, 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 you on drugs. What do you know about derivatives? <laughs> so I looked and he said, if you just do this, that'll fix it. I just kept writing. Couldn't figure it out. He said, I'm telling you, that's what it is. I went, I looked at it. Finally, I turned around and I started writing. And I realized he was right. And I looked at him and I said, how? He says, I was a crackhead, know how to do calculus. <laughs> and I said, I didn't want to say it. But he said, because I haven't been this way all my life. Turns out he was a brilliant man, used to be a college professor, had worked for, for I think it was Boeing or somewhere like that. He had had a bad turn on life. Why, why am I telling you this? Because just because you're up today doesn't mean you can't be down tomorrow. Don't ever get the big head because of where God has placed you or the victories he's given into your life. Those victories aren't because you're good. They're because he's good. And so always remember to give God the glory. He says, who has delivered your enemies into your hands? And so let's go on down uh, and, and read the last the last few few verses. We're going to start uh, right there at verse 21. We'll come back up a little bit. Um, verse 21 says, and the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. <laughs> Save only that which the young man have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Anner, Eschol, and Mamer, let them take their portion. Now we see right before that in the latter part of verse 20, not only does Abram get blessed, not only does Melchizedek bless Abraham and, and bless God, speak well of God, but we also see that this is the first time biblically that we see the tithe in the Bible. Abraham gives a tithe unto the uh, uh, to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is a priest of who? God. And does anybody know what tithe means? It means tenth. Yeah, yeah. So when people say I tithe, I'm a tither, and they say, but I, I get five percent. You're not a tither. That's not tithe. Tithe means tip. 
you're five percent of well you're not really a five percent that's that's a that's a group of group of type of people but a tithe he's given that and i wrote this down because i wanted us to get this more than the fact that he tithed i said abraham uh this is number 13 gives the first biblically recorded tithe till Melchizedek, this is before the law is ever given, this shows giving as an act of thankfulness and what? Worship. That your giving is worship. That Abraham, when he's given, he's not just given out of duty. He's given to say, God, I'm thankful for what you have what? Done for me. That falls right in line with the New Testament. He says, let every man that gives, given as he's purposing his what? heart to give that you have thoughtfully given you saying i'm not just giving something just just to throw something at something so the pastor won't say anything or this or that i'm giving because god this is an intimate space because let's be honest what's more sacred to you than your money people are not mad because the price of gas is high they mad because that gas money is taken away from money to do other stuff that they like to do jesus said it this way where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be. So if you're giving your treasure, you're really giving your what? Heart. Show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. I love Jesus. Show me your checkbook. And you tithe to everybody. And I'm not getting into, should we tithe New Testament, Old Testament, all that. I'm just getting into the principle that you're giving is an act of worship. And you tithe to plenty plenty of places and it's not necessarily church you tie the doordash you tie the uber eats you tie the amazon you tie the kroger you give over a tenth of your earnings to the things that you want to do and in in the new testament not even a tithe but given above and beyond because we're happy for what god has given us we shouldn't put a limit on what we give so when people say i love you i love you jesus Jesus, you like my new sneakers? I love your new sneakers. Did you give anything this week? No, Jesus, I'm going to do that next week. You, you, you. That, imagine that if your wife or your husband walked in and said, I love you. Have you and sometimes your spouse does do that to you. Have you ever had your spouse walk in with a whole bunch of food that they bought for themselves and they didn't get nothing for you? <laughs> and you hungry and, you, and they, they eating and you saying, man, you, you get anything for me? Oh, I didn't know you wanted anything. How does that make you feel? That says in your mind, it says, I'm not a priority on your what? List. So when we pay everything else, we pay car notes, house notes, eat out five, six times a day, do everything we want. And then we give God just a little piece of something. What does that say about our worship? What does that truly say about our attitude towards God? Where your treasure is, that your heart will what? I don't judge somebody's worship by by necessarily. You can't judge by how much somebody gives, um, because some some have great, some have little. But Jesus gave us the. You know why I like tithing? Whether you like tithing or not, because it's proportional. Ten percent is ten percent. Doesn't make it a mess if you make a thousand dollars or fifty fifty thousand. If you're not in the tithing, whatever you give. So you know what that says that everybody gives according to what they've been what given. You can give more. Um, you should give more. But when Abraham was given a victory, he showed gratitude. He didn't just run around the church. He opened his wallet. Because that's where your, where your treasure is. That's where your what? Heart is. And sometimes your treasure can be your time. Sometimes it's not just even your wallet. I, you know what? If you don't love Jesus, you fooling me. You know why? Because it's one of the first beautiful days we've had in Michigan in a long time. And, the, and, it was, and daylight was out and it was looking pretty. And you still came here. You know what that says? Although I've been cooped up for months and I really would like to get out and party, my spiritual growth and my connection with you is more important. And so my presence shows what's really important to me. Yes. And I commend you for that. And for those who are watching, who take the time to do a little extra uh, and, and to give God a little more, let every part of your worship be from your what? Don't just give dry. Let that be a good part of your worship. 
Don't just, when you're giving, not just, when you're giving an offering of your hands on Sunday morning, don't just worship dry. Don't just sit there and say, well, I don't know this song. I'm just going to sit here till they get through to it and they sing something I know, then I get up and, no. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to give you my best. I don't care if the praise team sound like bullfrogs. Thank God they don't. But at the same time, if they sounded bad, it's, that's not what it's really about. I'm here to give you my what? Heart. Hopefully that's been a blessing to somebody. Any questions or any comments as, as we get ready to close out? Number 12. Number 12 says, Joseph and uh, Job and Melchizedek are contemporaries of Abraham. They are monotheistic, and that means they believe in the one true God. Contemporaries. They lived during the same time. So when you say there lived a man in the land of us by the name of Job, he lived around the time of Abraham. Um, so he lived around that time. So just so you know, there are some characters in the Bible that lived around the same time frame. Like we think of Daniel, but Daniel lived around the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were all there in those same things. And sometimes chronologically, we separate things by Bible stories, but a lot of times those things are coinciding along the same time. So go ahead. Which one? Priest and king. Christophany. Some refer to him as a Christophany. He, uh, he is an actual, yes, I can spell Christophany because somebody's probably asking that. Christ, Christophany, I'm just playing. But it is Christ and then O-P-H-A-N-Y, a Christophany, which is a Old Testament manifestation of, of Christ. Um, so those are great questions. And I, I thank you guys for taking an interest in this and praying that it helps you to grow. If you're watching online, um, let us know. Drop us a line. Let, let us know that it's blessing you for those of you who show up week after week. We're so thankful for you doing that and taking a part in our Bible study. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you here uh, on Wednesday nights at 7 and on Sundays at 11, 600 North Campbell Road, Royal Oak, Michigan, 48067, and the, near the heart of Detroit, Motor City. All right. So I want to thank you guys. Any questions, any comments, any additional if not, we're going to pray. And if there's somebody that needs to know Christ today um, that's watching, I pray that you uh, will give your life to Christ. If you don't know how um, to follow Christ and if you don't know anything about following Jesus, reach out to us. We want to walk you through and, and help you to have a genuine conversion spirit experience and make a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity of this Bible study. I thank you um, that you're helping us to grow each week and helping us to pull out principles uh, along with learn your word, God, that will be, help us to be um, better stewards of your word and better stewards of the lives you've given us. And Lord, I pray right now that this word will go out and that it will bless somebody's heart and continue to do so in perpetuity. Uh, we give you praise and thanks for that. And also pray for those who are watching now and in the future who are lost, that they will come to Christ um, through the teachings that are given today. That Lord, we, we plant, but Lord, we ask that you water and bring the increase. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise.